Hello and welcome to Jake's World, episode 11 of Jake's World, once again presented to you by absolutely nobody. Today's Monday, May 18th, 2020, and let me tell you, the last, I don't know, 24, 36 hours of my life have been very, very strange. Let me start out with this. Okay, so, first of all, I apologize for the atrocity that was the train wreck of Friday's podcast. Wasn't my best work. Definitely a little J podcast. Definitely not going to shoot for that ever again. So I promise I'm going to try to be a little more prepared for every show I do for here on out. Now, as I said on that show, I was about to make a new life change, right? Moving from Madison full-time to only part-time. While I'm living at home during the week to do a job up here. That's fine. Not efficient. Fiscally or time-wise, but whatever. That's fine. It's not about the money for me, really. It's about, you know, spending time where you want it to be and being productive, too. But not the point. I drive... A really, really crappy car, right? And I spend Saturday playing golf with a friend. Sunday, I'm kind of packing things up. And Saturday night into Sunday morning, it starts raining. It's pouring, right? I leave to get gas before going home and or coming back up north. And there's like a puddle of water in my passenger seat, right? Just a puddle. This car I drive, it's like rusted out in the passenger where you put your feet by the wheel well where the tire is. Oh, you can pull back the carpet and see the pavement. And it's just (laughs) classic me. Well, it never stopped raining. It's still raining as I look out my bedroom window. And there's still water in there. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I mean, I had a towel there, but... It's only going to keep that from getting a little worse. So, my life stinks sometimes. Sometimes it's great. I don't know. It's just classic me that, you know, I've got a shitbag car that I can't afford to get a new one yet. But that's the way of the road. Pun intended. Building off of that... When it came, when it comes to work, today might have been like the worst day of my life, right? Of course, you start a new job and you always have to do that new orientation crap. And, you know, you got to deal with sitting in a room with, you know, people you don't know and you don't really want to be there. And you're learning about safety and HR crap. And benefits packages which that's up my alley but the other stuff's not and of course you gotta wear yeah an n95 mask so we have all those on and i 
I'm out of contacts. I have daily contacts, which I ran out of like, I don't know, four months ago. And I've been wearing glasses ever since. Like, even have to play golf in them. It sucks. But the way the mask is, it like covers your nose. And my glasses, it's not snug enough. And every time you breathe out, my glasses would fog up. So I was dealing with that all day until it was to the point where it's like, you know, fuck this. I just have to like be blind all day. And that's probably what my life is going to be like until I get more contacts. And I like projected that onto, you know, my day. And aside from being really bored and, you know, really crabby because I'm sitting in a classroom or a conference room with a classroom style setting learning about like how, I don't know, welders have to be like clean their work area so they don't start a fire inside of a half-constructed vessel. Okay. Like, let me just crunch the numbers for the widgets tomorrow. Thanks. See ya. I don't know. I'm excited to do something, like, up my alley when it comes to the financial work, but, like, today was just a waste of time for me, and whatever. I've had enough complaining, but that is only part of the reason why my last 24, 36 hours have been really fucking weird, so... Last night before bed, I'm scrolling through Instagram, and anyone who knows me knows that I'm a really big Barstool sports fan. Oh, just got an email saying that um, my barber shop's going to open soon, so that's really cool, so I don't have to look fucking homeless anymore. But anyways, I'm a big stoolie. I've read some of the blogs. I listen to all the podcasts. I follow them all on social media. I like their product. They're controversial, but I can get into that because, you know, I think for myself and I'm not a softy or totally insensitive. I'm somewhere in between, but I can distinguish between the two and think for myself and, you know, not get offended by everything they say. They do it for clicks, publicity. Any publicity is good publicity, and I get that. But I'm scrolling through and... I had no idea this was going on. I'm not huge into, you know, call her daddy. That's like the female side of Barstool. That's hugely popular. I'm not saying that guys don't listen to that or girls don't listen to anything else. I'm not trying to say that at all. But, like, that just wasn't my cup of tea. Those two girls on that show, I mean, I think the life they portray is totally fictional. And I think it's you know, vast hyperbole, but whatever. I mean, I've listened to it before. It's funny. It's just, it's just not for me. Cause I mean, sorry, I don't think you're telling the entire truth, but they're popular. They're hugely successful. And I respect that. And I had no idea that they have been off the air for like five weeks now. And I'm scrolling through Instagram and I, I followed Portnoy, uh, Dave Portnoy, founder of Barcel Sports on Instagram. And he has like a screenshot of Apple Podcast rankings. And it's got Caller Daddy, Joe Rogan, whoever else is 345, whatever. And it says, heard it was a good show today. I'm like, what? Why would he be doing that? So I kind of, and it said like click link in bio or whatever. So like, or Barstool posted it, not Dave. But I click on it and I I've had bar uh, that podcast in my podcast feed before, 
and nothing showed up. So I'm like, whatever. Go to sleep. I wake up the next day. I check Instagram, or this morning, and I check Instagram again. And Dave put something. Heard it was a really good show this morning. Now I double check it. There's a new podcast. It was like April 6th or April 8th, and now there was one May 18th or today. Okay. I listened to it on the way to work. It's not smutty, slutty nonsense. It's Dave. And the story he tells about these two, oh my God. I'm going to let, I'm not going to get hugely into the details, but just be grateful. These two girls are very talented. Alexandra Cooper and Sophia Franklin, I think her last name is. I'm not going to double check. It's not worth my time. Or the internet because my parents don't have Wi-Fi here. Like, what? How am I supposed to do this using a phone hotspot? I don't know. But anyways, their contract, when Dave signed them on, he's 2018, a three-year contract, $75,000 each. Plus, like, kind of like royalties, but it's like download, like per download, you know, like tiers, like maybe a stipend of money for every thousand downloads, or I'm not sure what the metrics were. And then they got like a cut of merch sales and whatever, whatever, whatever. One of them made $500,000. Five hundred four thousand dollars, and the other made like four hundred sixty-five thousand dollars, and they got into it between each other and with Dave about not getting paid enough. Their contract was seventy-five grand. I'm doing something that's, you know, on the way to being meaningful, like a finance job, for like half that, a little more than half, but half of that. Be grateful. You're putting smutty nonsense on the air that people eat up and you're being greedy about half a million dollars. And like, if you don't like it, don't resign. And that's kind of what he was going on about was, um, like he recorded an episode on their feed kind of explaining to everyone who listens to that what the story is and what his take on it was. And they're being petty about you know, they want the intellectual intellectual property to their show. And it's like, well, you can't have it all, right? You use Barstool Sports, one of the biggest podcast host companies out there. You're going to take advantage of their marketing and their already established you know, following market that Dave worked so hard to build. Then when you don't like, you know, some aspects of your contract, you cut, you take the money and run. It doesn't work like that. When you sign a contract, each party is held accountable to each other. If you don't like it, but they didn't break and breach the contract, too bad. You're stuck. And he goes into it, non, you know, back and forth. If you care enough, listen to that or read about it. They want to do a deal somewhere else, make more money, whatever. That's not the point. What I'm just saying is, like, I would, like, I don't know what I would do. To I would drop everything for a chance at half a million dollars a year to talk into a microphone 
and spend a few hours a day editing a podcast and doing homework and thinking of things to talk about. Like, just, just be grateful. That was bizarre. I had to talk about that a little bit because I was also listening to that at 6.30 in the morning. But what I really want to talk about, the electric last dance. Episodes 9 and 10 were last night. It's really strange because uh, instead of watching it in my one-bedroom apartment, which I love and miss already, it's been 27 hours. I miss it greatly. But I had to watch it with my family. And that was different. It wasn't bad. It's a little more talking. I like to, you know, I take notes with it and just kind of absorb it all. I had to do a little bit of explaining and everything, but yeah, it was good. But anyways, let's get into it. Eight episodes were already displayed before, you know, nine and ten, duh. But we got the hint early on, you don't talk shit to Michael about anything, especially about his game. I mean, don't even look at the guy funny. He'll find something to, you know, tear you a new asshole about on the court. Yet Reggie Miller and the Pacers... Thought it was okay to go talk trash to him. It's like I think of the story, the Greek myth Icarus. Icarus is this talented mythical angel creature, whatever, and his father gives him a set of wings. And Icarus, being the young daredevil he is, flies too close to the sun. He burns his wings and he falls to his death. It's just like that. The Flight of Icarus. None of you probably know what I'm talking about, but it's a pretty commonly referenced myth that it's hubris. Getting too big for your britches. The Pacers were a talented team, a physical team, but a skill team. It's not like that eighty or it's not like the bad boy pistons where Skill went by the wayside a little bit. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars are Hall of Famers. So is Bill Lambeer, I believe. But there was more physical style basketball. It wasn't like, you know, the offensive skill that the Pacers had. I mean, Reggie Miller's a pretty damn good basketball player. And they alluded to that. But it's like, don't push the guy's buttons. Everyone else who did fell along the wayside and you know fell short what makes you any different why would you test it and like I, that just befuddles me like why do you continue to poke Michael Jordan's buttons even if you think you're you can beat him just beat him like be classy about it I don't know I just it just seems like every time a team or a player more like a team, was in a position to finally knock off the Bulls, they shot themselves in the foot. And it just wasn't necessary to do so. Don't ta- don't tr- trash talk. Like, honestly, if you want to take this to the MJ-LeBron debate, MJ would win because LeBron couldn't trash talk him. He'd fold, right? Like, you can't beat Michael at his own game. He'll trash talk you at anything. Yo, bitch, ho. I love the scene with Larry Bird. Hey, hey, bitch, fuck you, bitch. And like, 
it's just always shooting the shit and you know and like you know little digs and trash talking and hey Jerry gonna need a stepladder to make that layup like he's just so casual about it like it's always in his back pocket he's a good chirper like guys like that sometimes can't take it in return and Michael's instinct wasn't to you know get all upset defensive it's just just kick your ass the next time you went out so like I don't know don't feed into it that's a good recipe for success. Don't make MJ mad. Oh, and with that Pacers series, that jump shot, I think it was game three. I didn't write down what game it was. The That Reggie Miller push-off, oh, my God. That's being called a foul today before it even happens. That's how soft the league is. And then you can take the – and then there's critics of MJ that say – on that crossover, Jesus Christ, what a mean crossover that was. Says he pushed off. I don't remember exactly what Bob Costas said, but it was something. I laughed. Like That's probably why I couldn't hear him, because I laughed, and I didn't bother to rewind the recording. But, no, that guy just got his ankles snapped in half. MJ didn't push off at all. It was like a love tap. It's like, it's like patting your dog on the head. Good boy. That's the equivalent of what that push was um, in that game six of the finals in 98. Not a factor. So I don't want to hear any of those complaints either. Oh, MJ pushed off. No, it's the flip side. Reggie pushed off. MJ didn't. Case closed. Another thing I want to kind of transition to is... You know, I didn't really want to go there, but now that this entire series is concluded, I feel like it's inevitable. We have to talk about it a little bit. LeBron sexuals love to, you know, find any dig at Michael Jordan while making an excuse for why LeBron's better. Oh, LeBron plays better talented teams. Well, that's an ar- that's a relative argument. Right? Let me explain. The talent back then was consistent across the board like it is today, right? Yeah, both teams would be better today compared to back then. You know, science is advanced, training is advanced, technology is advanced, metrics are different. We have all these crazy efficiency stats and Like in baseball, war is a huge stat now. We know so much more about our bodies and kinesiology and how to get the most out of the minutes you play and things like that. But that's relative across the board. It's like LeBron today across the board is probably about the same as Jordan was back then across the board. Talent, like, you know, disbursement of talent. The Warriors are an exception. I mean, do I think that LeBron beating the 73-win Warriors was a stimulus package? A little bit. I'm not trying to take that away from him. I'm not trying to say he's bad at all. It's just, it's relative. If you put... LeBron's team 
back then, or LeBron back then, he's going to appear soft. If you put Jordan in terms of today, he's going to be physically outmatched. That's just how it was. I mean, it's so hard to compare that to, but it's I kind of lost for words on how to pinpoint that the best I can, but those comparisons are like it's relative to the era they're in. That's why I don't like to use those. Now what I'm getting towards is who they played. One of the biggest critiques of the Bulls in the 90s were they didn't play anybody. They played plumbers. Guys, John Stockton, Carl Malone is the best pick and roll combination of all time still. I will not pick one duo to run that style of offense ahead of those two. Those guys were studs. They didn't win a championship because of Michael Jordan. It's a good team. They're two Hall of Famers. John Stockton is the best passer of all time. I believe he's second all-time career assists. Maybe not the number-wise, but per game, he's second behind Magic Johnson. Probably the best point guard of all time. Carl Malone's made the most free throws of all time. He out he beat Michael Jordan in the 96-97 MVP race. Got the mailman. He's a fucking stud. And that's the same thing for every team that Bron Sexuals love to say weren't that good. Charles Barkley was a wagon too on that Suns team. Clyde Drexler is a Hall of Famer. It's a good Blazers team. The Lakers won okay. I mean, Le- Magic was already 12 years into his career. It's a little different. That was an older Lakers team. That one I could see some flack for. And the Sonics, Sean Kemp, Gary Payton. It's all relative is what I'm trying to say. All those those guys were at the peak. You know, they were at the top of their level physically, athletically. And it's just like now. I mean, look at the Warriors and the Cavaliers. LeBron is the probably even better than Jordan, the most physically capable basketball player of all time. His athleticism at his size, his speed at his size, is unparalleled. Kevin Durant's the best pure shooter of all time, probably, from all across the floor. Then you have one and two, the best three-point shooters of all time. It's all relative, is what I'm trying to say. Like The game has evolved. They should be better today than they were back then. But when you compare it relatively, the accomplishments that Michael Jordan did relatively to the accomplishment that LeBron James has done relatively across his playing field, Michael Jordan wins every time. I don't care that LeBron went to eight straight NBA Finals. He had to join a super team. And if you thought the East was bad when Jordan was in it, it was a dumpster fire when LeBron was in it. Now that's something you should know. There was not another team in the East until maybe the Bucks that could actually beat LeBron. The, the Raptors beat him when he left. And the Bucks, like the Bucks, could have beat the Cavs if you know you take last year's Bucks and put them in the 2018 Cavs. It took that long 
I remember the last year we went to the finals, like, people were trying to make a case that the Sixers could do it, the Raptors could do it, the Bucks might be able to do it, the Celtics. The Celtics were the closest ones to it, and they should have won that series. If they had Kyrie, I don't know. Like, they say, like, the Celtics played better without Kyrie because Kyrie, Kyrie Irving's a diva. Like, he's a great basketball player, but he's such a fucking diva. But... I don't know. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not... You you can't say, oh, that East was bad. Well, you know, Michael Jordan's East had, like, 10 or 15 Hall of Famers in it. Or the league-wide did. Are there 10 or 15 Hall of Famers in the East right now? My, my bet's no. So I don't like that comparison. I didn't try... I didn't want to take it that way. But I feel like that had to be said because instead of just respecting what Michael Jordan did, the greatest of all time, no arguments can change that now, I believe. Like, I think your head is, I think your brain is made of bricks if you don't think that. And you can make up all the bronze excuses you want. It's just not, you're just wrong. Like, you're fired, you're fraud. Just respect what the guy did. Because it's not, it's not going to happen again. I've been waiting for it since the first fucking episode. The motherfucking flu game. Man, it was cool to finally see the real story, or hear the real story behind it. Like I said, I wasn't, I was alive, but I was an infant when the flu game happened. I was six months old and I would be ashamed. I, I would be heartbroken if I got food poisoning because of pizza. Pizza is the best food on earth. Really? I can't think of one better. And if you've had food poisoning, you can relate to how hard it would be to go out and even attempt what Mike did that night. Like, it's called the flu game. I would rather have the flu or coronavirus than food poisoning. I'm just kidding about the coronavirus part. That's really bad, but I'm not cutting it. It was kind of funny. I, food poisoning sucks. I remember the, I, I got food poisoning once. It was the weekend before I moved to college for freshman year. Um, I visited my grandparents in Palos Hills, Illinois, South Side. My mom and I met up with one of her friends from high school and her kid. We got Culver's, right? And I got a concrete mixer, chocolate. And I don't know what it was. I'm lactose intolerant now, so maybe it wasn't so much food poisoning as it was like just way too much dairy. Yeah, I'm a pussy, I know. Whatever. I like to say it's food poisoning just because it sounds way cooler. But I woke up in the middle of the night and just bleh, everywhere. It was so bad. Like, food poisoning is the worst. I don't wish it upon anyone. Like, it's the flu wrapped up in your stomach. It's, it's horrible. If you've had it before, you know what I'm saying. I'd rather have the flu than go through the food poisoning game. But flu game has a much better ring to it, so... Call it the flu game. It's really the food poisoning game. And that was gutsy. Like, that was the 
one of the gutsiest performances in all sports. And you don't see that very much anymore just because of like load management and being basketball is really the only sport you can kind of compare that to. Like football's so different because it's such a team game, but like I remember when Brett Favre's dad passed away and I think then it was either Sunday night or Monday night football the next time he played and I mean Oakland was a bad team at the time but oh my god Favre balled out and I mean it seems like those kind of moments come now more with emotional things not so much physical things because like guys sit out for illnesses all the time but kind of rightfully so too it's like you don't want to get the whole team sick but People call it the hangover game, like it kind of a conspiracy thing, just like with, you know, his first retirement and the gambling. I'd rather be hungover and play. Or no, I'd rather have the flu in play, excuse me, than be hungover. And if it was a hangover game and you're trying to argue, oh, like he was hungover, like you're a dumbass because playing hungover would be way harder than playing with the flu. And you make it doubly impressive to me. But it was really cool to watch that piece of basketball history. And that was kind of the thing about especially episode 10. It was really like a highlight reel. Like we got so many inside stories and different narratives from the first eight and a half, nine episodes. Especially game six where he dropped 45. Jesus, what a stud, by the way. That was a highlight reel. We got to see the highlights. Just his struggles early on, and then he just hits that gear and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. That was really cool. Then you got so many uh, iconic moments, too. Like Jordan on the bench, head over his face, and you know, just kind of laying there or sitting there. And Scotty carrying him off the court, and it's just. It was cool, like you've seen those highlights, and it was like, it's also almost, it was cool, really cool to see that highlight. Another thing that was really impactful for me was kind of learning about Steve Kerr's upbringing, and especially his father, because if you don't know by now, I majored in finance, and I majored in history, and my history advisor grew up in the Middle East. His father worked in the oil fields in southern Iran and it's kind of influenced by him in a way that I know a lot about Middle Eastern history also I took a course in it oil was a big thing you know before the fall of the Shah in 1979 and as a means to become involved in Middle Eastern affairs due to the Cold War we funded the Mujahideen, Saudi freedom fighters, or Middle Eastern Arabic freedom fighters, to fight a guerrilla war, a proxy war, against the Soviets in Afghanistan from 1979 through the mid to late 1980s. Um, Hezbollah is a Middle Eastern terror cell. Our backing of Israel was a huge factor in, you know, the Palestinian Arabic 
Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The anger or resentment toward the United Nations and especially Israel because, you know, that group of people believes that the Holy Land is theirs. You know, what Israel was, the Zionist Charter was granted them in 1947. That was their land and they felt the right to fight for it. And it was really sad to see like a good person get caught up in that in Lebanon in 1984. I mean, there was the Beirut bombing in 83, the Marine barracks. And it, it's just sad to see that, you know, good people die because of, you know, senseless fighting. Senseless to them, maybe not. But like, did Malcolm Kerr have any reason to be there? No, he was running a university, but it just stinks to see that, you know, good people get caught up in the really shitty politics of some situations, our country, other countries, religion, creed, doesn't matter. Like, it's just him dying was senseless. He got shot in the head. Like, come on. There's no need for it. He's doing a good thing. He's trying to educate people. Everyone can be better through education. And it was sad to see that. But it was also really strange to see how, like, Steve and Michael had this mutual bond, yet they never talked about it. Or if they did, I don't believe they disclosed it. It was just a mutual thing they had, a shared thing they had, and they never talked about it. And two things before I wrap up episode 9. First of all, we saw Benny the Bull a little bit throughout this entire series. Benny the Bull is the best fucking mascot of all time. Fuck Bernie Brewer or whatever they call the stupid idiot green thing in Philadelphia. I don't even know. Dude, Benny the Bull is a wagon. Like, I remember the video of him, like, just going, he's sprinting from half court and he trucks the popcorn guy and there's a video of it out there somewhere and he the guy's you know got his tray and his strap he's got like 15 20 bags of popcorn and it's just poof yellow popcorn everywhere oh gritty gritty's his only competition I fucking love gritty stud too but benny the bull big street creds reputation tenure Benny the Bull's like the best out there. And Jesus, I hate novelty license plates. But Michael Jordan just having air on his Porsche. Dude, what a power move. And like, what are you going to do? Chirp him? Being like, yeah, I have air on my Porsche. Nice Porsche, bro. Like, what are you going to do? Make fun of him? Uh, no. The beginning of episode 10... I've got a few notes here. I mean, I kind of mix and match the two, you know, going into this. But this beginning of episode 10 was so important to me, special to me, meaningful to me, because it highlighted what we should all strive to be. It doesn't matter if you're a fucking astronaut or a firefighter or a pencil pusher some fortune 500 company or a professional basketball player or a yoga instructor 
or a ditch digger or a homeless person or the president of the United States. It doesn't matter. Everyone needs to live in the moment and none of us do. Like Michael Jordan was a physical specimen. At six foot six, he had a 48 inch vertical. Six six, 220, free throw line dunk. Finesse, trash talk, dunking capability, effort, defense. But what, this was really the nail in the coffin. What set him apart was his mental game. And he said it himself, like the first three championships were sweet because like I've worked so hard and I finally got there but the second three were even sweeter because I didn't just dominate people with my body I dominated them with my mind mental toughness is so and it's I won't I don't even want to say underrated because it's it's so known but it's like so not able to be done because us mere mortals always think of what could go wrong? What can we worry about? How could how could we fuck this up? And MJ didn't do that. He's like, why the hell should I worry about a shot that I didn't take yet? And that is the goal. That is the ultimate living in the present, living in the now, not worrying about the past or the future. If you are so focused on what is right in your hands right now, you can't worry about what's on your plate. 30 minutes, an hour, six hours a day, a week, a month, you can't worry about it anymore because you are literally locked in. And he was a master at that. Probably second to none at that. And that is what he attributed his success to. And that is what I've been trying my best to do, you know, especially since this COVID thing started. And I kind of just jumped off and said, fuck it, see what happens later with, you know, my professional life. And it's worked out so far. But I still think about not so much the future, but the past. And it's a challenge for me and it's a challenge for a lot of people. But he was a master at that. Why should I let a shot I didn't take affect me? Why should I worry about that? Why should I put energy to that? And it's a really important thing to focus on. Fucking Dennis Rodman. You know, Gronk has that men- or that persona and that uh, reputation for being work hard, play hard. Dennis Rodman did it first. The guy's had New World Order, re- WWE wrestling, with Hulk Hogan hitting people with chairs during the NBA Finals. And he comes back and, I mean, team wasn't happy with him, of course. Why would you be? But Dennis was fucking Dennis. The Worm showed up and played. One of the coolest nicknames ever, by the way. The Worm, slithering around, grabbing rebounds, playing defense like a worm. It's crazy how much leeway he had because he fucking always showed up ready to play and he always worked hard. But that was vintage footage. Dennis, by the way. The ankle breaker once again. The last shot, or that, the last shot of the last dance. Michael's last shot as a bull. It's one of the most iconic in history. And that's just classic once again. And then, I kind of want to go back to that losing with class thing. I touched upon, I touched on it like episode 3 or episode 4 whenever we covered the bad boys. Losing with class. 
Carl Malone and John Stockton had every reason to be pissed at the Bulls. I mean, it was almost the same thing that happened to the Pistons, except in reverse. It was the Bulls. Nice sentence, Jake. But the Bulls went out there and shook all their hands in 88, 89, 89, 90, or whatever the years. Yeah, those were the years. Yet, Isaiah led the team to walk off the court after the Bulls finally beat him in 91. Carl Malone made it so he walked onto the bus as the Bulls were leaving Utah, leaving Salt Lake City, and shook MJ's hands and said, you know, congrats, good series. That's losing the class, going out of your way. He didn't have to do that. He could have just been like, shake his hand on the court, you know, a cordial, good game. They do that now, you know, like dap him up and give him a bro hug, good game, and then they fucking hate each other. But, you know, they're buddy-buddy on social media and, you know, good vibes only. You didn't have to go through all that. He went, he went out of his way to go congratulate Mike and the rest of the team, frankly, and say, good series, good game. Like, it goes a long way. Lose with class. You can't always win. Life is humbling. You can always try to win. But life knows how to humble you and pay your respects when they're due. The post-celebration was really funny too. Stephen Kerr, or Steve Kerr making those jokes. Let's call him Stephen Kerr. Jesus, you need to wrap this up. The jokes were funny. <laughs> really funny. You know, Phil was talking to Dennis was talking you just knew Michael was going to hang it up, though. But go out on top. And I think that's where I kind of want to conclude this last show, is just asking kind of a rhetorical question and no one has the answers to. Every A lot of people say that if Michael Jordan never retired the first time, they could have won eight championships in a row. I used to be... The believer, a believer that they would have. And I don't think that's the case anymore. They were tired. At least MJ was tired. He had the mental toughness to go that long, to win eight in a row. But I don't think he had the physical. I, I just, I th- he needed a break. And I think that's why he stepped away from it. Especially, not so, if it was just basketball, then yeah. He could have. You know, no problem. He could have cleaned house. Won them all. But there's so much other shit piled on top of that too that I didn't know about. And it kind of changed my perception a little bit. Like, could he have? Yeah. Would he have? Maybe. I don't know. Probably not. Rockets were no slouch. He had Hakeem Olajuwon, Kenny the Jet. It's a good team. Steve Francis, the franchise, damn good team. If it wasn't for his dad and wanting to play baseball and all the other shit that the media dragged him through, maybe they could have won eight in a row. But I'm not saying they would have, but they definitely could have. And it's the same kind of argument with how he concluded this documentary. Could he have won seven? 
And it's the same thing. Maybe. Definitely maybe. Would've. No. Could've. Yes. You know, as silly as it sounds, I think Jerry Krause ended it at the right time. Not Phil. Not MJ. Not even Scotty. The other guys? Maybe. I don't know. It seemed like they'd gone through increasing adversity to just get there. Would they have beat the Lakers? They were a year later. Or two years later. 2000, 2001. But they were up and coming. I don't even know who won the finals after. Honest to be honest. But who knows? Everything happens for a reason, right? And this is the way it laid out. It was laid out. Could he have won seven? Yeah. Do I think so? I don't know. But I see where he's coming from too. Like, why wouldn't you be given the opportunity to? You went out on top. You should be able to dictate what terms you go out on. He should be able to be like, not he, but Jerry should have allowed, you know, the team to come together and be like, hey, I think we can do this again. Now I can see this farsightedness of rebuilding because you don't, you want to start that process ahead of time. And a lot of teams don't. A lot of teams spend two, three, four seasons being absolute dog shit. And then they start to rebuild because they weren't, they didn't, you know, work out in front of it. But, I don't know. It poses a good question. Would you want to have tried for seven? Or was going out on top the best way you could have done it? I don't know. That concludes episode 11 of Jake's World. Hope you enjoyed it a little more this time because I definitely enjoy talking about this one, especially with, you know, all the changes going on in my life and probably the best docuseries I've ever watched being wrapped up. I mean, sports docuseries. I've seen some electric documentaries. But like I said, and like I said at the end of every show, I want this thing to keep on growing. So rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Tell everyone you know. When you see my tweet, give it a retweet. Let everyone that follows you see that. Like, let the word spread. It's available on Spotify now. You can stream it on Spotify. You can stream it however you consume podcasts. You can listen to it. Rate, review, subscribe. Give me some content ideas. Give me some feedback. Anything. Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. You can find me at Jake Sawinski 8, J-A-K-E-S-A-W-I-N-S-K-I-8. Don't know what I'm going to talk about on Monday nights into Tuesday anymore because this is all over, but I got to think of something because we're going to keep on keeping on. All right? Have a good week. Stay safe. Poise. Mistakes. Mm-hmm.